Okay, so um, now we have uh, someone who probably needs no introduction to for many of you. Uh, if you haven't known him before, uh, met him before, this is Wes Nisker, Wes Scoop Nisker, Dharma teacher, uh, Spirit Rock teacher, um, performer, uh, legendary San Francisco uh, figure. When I first got here in the seventies, I heard of. I heard of, I was hearing about Scoop Nisker, and 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 then I said, "Oh, I know. You know Scoop Nisker." Okay. When we were, when uh, I remember we were living uh, in uh, in the eighties in Harwood House, and there was a, a a list of the ten. What was it? The ten most uh, influential figures in the Bay Area. This was in early eighties. He was on the list. Do you remember that? So, yeah, yeah. billboards. Billboards. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, K-Fog, K-San, voice, uh, author of Buddha's Nature, Crazy Wisdom, uh, uh, what's the, the Buddha, the, ba- the Baby Boomers, and the Big Bang? Or, that was close. What is it? The, the Big Bang, the Buddha, and the Baby Boom. Okay, not bad. Uh, and uh, also uh, someone who really cares about uh, about this planet, teaches a lot with Joanna Macy, uh, and uh, uh, a good friend besides, somebody who uh, um, uh, always both opens the heart and the mind and uh, often uh, brings brings a laugh at the same time, uh, but goes deeper than, than just surface humor. So great to have... Thank you, James. Be with us. Thank you, James. Wes Nisker. For an introduction I'll never live up to, so thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. It's, it is uh, it's wonderful to come out here to Spirit Rock. Every time I come, my heart leaps with joy at what we've done. And uh, I already have nostalgia for this building. <laughs> People are, I, I understand people are taking relics, you know, they take, you can take, if you can get a piece of the ceiling and take it home with you. This ceiling was once over the Dalai Lama and Thich Nhat Hanh and yeah, where we, we created, we have created a revolution, there's no question about it. And maybe just in time, maybe just in time, part of the solution for sure. So, uh, how to be an earthling? Well, you already are earthlings. You know that, don't you? You are stuck to it. You are made out of it. You are riding on it. In fact, at this moment, we are all spinning on this rock, this little rock through space, spinning in our orbit uh, around the center of the earth at somewhat somewhere up to a thousand miles an hour. We're spinning in our orbit around the sun at 66,000 miles an hour. And you don't even have to hold on. (laughs) You ever feel that space wind on your face? I mean, we are moving, trucking. There's a great Ojibwe saying, sometimes I go around pitying myself when all the while I'm being carried on great winds across the sky. 
But what are we doing here, existentially speaking? Where did we come from? Where are we going? Do you believe you have an eternal soul, or do you just get this one fling on planet Earth? What is the story you tell yourself about yourself? Ever since we humans grew these big brains, we've been asking ourselves these big questions. And to answer them, we've come up with some pretty amazing stories about gods and demons and heavens and hells. And, and humans have become so arrogant. We've come to believe the entire universe was made just for us. We were separately and specially created. Some of us even believe that we are made in God's image. God looks like this. <laughs> Our major religions have come to regard the earth as a kind of uh, training planet, right? A place where you come to learn some lessons, burn off some karma, and then you get to go off to some other place where you truly belong. But those old stories, some of them ridiculous but all of them together, uh, somewhat dysfunctional. <laughs> so they take our reverence away from this world, and they remove the human from the web of life. Luckily, we're starting to tell ourselves a new story, which says that we are intertwined with all and everything. In physics, they talk about entanglement and about how we all emerge from the same quantum soup. And that every time you move your hand, the whole universe gets involved. The new story tells us that we are related to all the life that's ever lived. All of us descended from the same single-celled beings. So in some very real sense, we are all cell brothers and cell sisters. Can you dig it? And the story of evolution is everybody's biography. But this new story, the story of evolution, I'll bet almost every one of you believe that that story is true, the story of evolution. But I don't think we really get it yet. The story's too new to have had a chance to seep into the corridors of our psyche. We haven't mined the spiritual gold in this story what it tells us about ourselves. I think we need ceremonies and celebrations and uh, rituals. We have to sing and dance evolution. We have to learn how to embody it. I suggest we start by chanting the table of basic elements. Hydrogen, helium, lithium, beryllium, boron, carbon. It's got mantra quality, doesn't it, with the M's and the ons? When we do breath practice, when we bring our attention to the breath, we can do an occasional reflection that with every breath I am exchanging nutrients with the plant kingdom. 
With every breath, I am a cell in the great breathing of the planet, of Gaia. We can feel the fact that we are earthlings already. Just take your hand and touch your knee or your knuckle or rub your upper and lower teeth together a little bit. Feel the hardness of the bone. Bones are made of calcium, phosphates, silicates, carbon, essentially the clay of earth mysteriously shaped into this skeletal, skeletal being. Most of our body's liquid, and most of that liquid has the chemical consistency of the oceans. We sweat and cry seawater. We're not on the earth. We're of the earth. We're like earth sprouts that gained a lot of mobility. <laughs> and we're, we're powered by the sun. You can feel that easy. Just feel the heat of your body. That's the heat of the sun through these complex and rather miraculous processes transformed into your living energy. We have the sun inside of us. And we're built out of all the life that came before us. Richard Dawkins says, if you had a picture of your great-grandfather 150 million great-grandfathers ago, and everybody's got one, you would have a picture of a fish. Some of your ancestors were scaly. <laughs> lived under, they could breathe underwater. We're made out of all the life that came before us, shaped by it. Right now inside your skull, for instance, there, there's a fully functioning reptilian brain, a fully functioning mammalian brain, and the new human brain or neocortex. And there's increasing serious scientific research to show that we use our new human brain mostly to make excuses for the behavior generated by the other two brains. <laughs> Consciousness comes in very late in the game. Any meditator, any meditator will tell you that, you know. We're not rational animals. We're rationalizing animals. But if we see ourselves in this story of evolution, we're forgiven for all our supposed sins and mistakes because we see that we are a baby species. There were millions of generations of dinosaurs. Several millions of generations of mammals before humans came along. We've had maybe 20, 30,000 generations of modern Homo sapiens. We just got these big brains didn't come with an uh, instruction manual. We don't, we're just learning how to use them, just now. We are a baby species. Humans should not be tried as adults. <laughs> In fact, I think the number one spiritual message of the story of evolution is this. You are not your fault. <laughs> Thank you.
But if we see ourselves in the story of evolution, our family increases a million, million fold because we are realizing now, finally, that uh, we are related to everything that's lived through this, uh, through the elegant spiral of the double helix, this miracle molecule, DNA, composed of four chemical compounds. And depending on how they're arranged in these long strings of coded information, a DNA molecule will contribute to the growth of a giant sequoia or a rose or an ant or a human being. It's what separates life from non-life. Deoxyribonucleic acid is much too cold and clinical a name for this magic, magic stuff. So I am promoting a new acronym. Every time you hear or see the letters DNA, think divine natural abundance. Divine natural abundance. And as you may know, 99.99999% of your DNA is identical to the DNA of the person standing or sitting next to you. Your DNA is, um, the, the instructions for building and maintaining you are almost exactly the same as the instructions for building and maintaining me and the Dalai Lama and Donald Trump and, and Oprah and, you know, I don't know, Britney Spears. Our individual differences are just a thin coat of paint over the basic human design. We share over 98% of our DNA with great apes nearly 90% with mice. That's because most of the information in our DNA is about building and maintaining a basic mammal. You know, you've got to have, build a nervous system and a digestive system and senses and instincts and, and mobile, mobile, little mobile devices and, uh, and make it all work together. It all takes a lot of information to make a basic mammal. So 90% or so of our DNA shared with mice. Uh, nearly 50% with worms. And about 30% with yeast. <laughs> yeast. I mean, the Victorians were shocked to hear that we were related to the great apes. But wait, your mama's a germ. <laughs> Your mama was a germ. If we declare ourselves divine, is not the slime also divine? And if not, where do you draw the line? Who gets a soul? Snails? Mushrooms? You see, that the story of evolution doesn't deny our divinity, but it may deny our exclusive divinity. There's a great T-shirt put out by the Santa Cruz UC, biology, UC Santa Cruz Biology Department. You share 25% of your DNA with bananas. Get over yourself. <laughs> Besides, a good case could be made that the universe was created for bacteria. The first living being single-celled being, appeared on Earth 3.8 billion years ago, today. <laughs> Happy birthday to all of us. 3.8 billion years ago, 
the first life appeared and it that the bacterial life and it has survived and thrived until now it is absolutely everywhere there are more individual bacterium right now in your mouth than all the humans that have ever lived on planet earth they have roads and churches in there a whole civilization between your cheeks There's some speculation that the bacteria invented humans as a moving feedlot. <laughs> you know, you get room and board in a tour of the neighborhood. <laughs> but we are now an, a, a new kind of animal. I hope you aren't offended. That is the way our eminent scientists classify us. I know many of you are in denial. You know, you go to a supermarket or a cafe, there's a sign in the window, no animals allowed. People walk right through to just... <laughs> no animals here. I think we should be proud to be part of this kingdom of beautifully arrayed creatures. Yeah. But we are a new kind of animal. Our ancestors came down from the trees only about five million years ago. Uh, among them was an ape woman who the scientists have named Lucy, the father, the mother of us all. So we can presume the father of us all was Ricky. You know, it's, <laughs> it hasn't been pointed out yet. But <laughs> and we started hanging out on the ground and using crude stone tools. Eventually became what is now known as Homo habilis or handyman. <laughs> yeah, handy. That's how it translates. Handyman. So you know we weren't yet Jewish. So uh, these are badam. Where's my rimshot artist there? Uh, and handyman started ha standing upright more often, maybe at times to fi fix a leaky roof or something. Pretty soon we were standing up all the time. We became what is now known, known as Homo erectus or upright human. And we're not talking morality here. In fact, soon after we stood up, for obvious reasons, the loincloth was invented. <laughs> you know, the four-leggeds, it's all tucked away under there. And I think also standing up was the beginning of our pride. Standing up, we thought we, we, thought we were above it all or something. But standing up is a very important moment in our evolution because it's associated with a rapid increase in brain size. Now, you'd think that standing up would cause our feet to swell instead. <laughs> but here's the theory. Standing up left our arms and hands free to work with tools. And we needed more brain connections to control the more precise movement of our hands and fingers. And, and also, standing up left our arms free to carry our stuff around. That was very important because eventually we started migrating out of Africa. Eventually. Nobody knows exactly why we left. I suspect it was to look for Chinese food. <laughs> At the time, our brains were half the size they are today. Or we would have figured out how to send out for Chinese food. But, <laughs> but we started wandering around the planet. Our brains kept growing, getting bigger. Uh, some 
there's some speculation that it was because we ran into an ice age or two and had to think hard and fast how to stay warm. Uh, it would have been a lot easier to just grow a heavier coat of fur, but we didn't think of it at the time because <laughs> our brains were too small. So we grew bigger brains, learned how to make fire, and then began sitting around that fire and telling stories about ourselves like this one. Story of evolution. At some point in our development, <clears throat> uh, our brains actually outgrew our heads. We had to get a whole new skull rounded and dome shaped in front. Uh, probably none of you are old enough to remember the old slope head model skull, you know. <laughs> we got this new rounded dome shaped skull to carry this new human brain, high speed, fully loaded, raring to go. So, 40,000 years ago or so, our immediate ancestors appear, the Cro-Magnon people, and they begin having elaborate burials and uh, making jewelry and masks, obviously having, having begun asking the big questions like, where did we come from, where are we going, what is this all about, and is there an afterlife, and if not, can we invent one quick, and... Uh, they became what we now think of as homo sapiens sapiens, twice wise humans, double wise. Those of us who've practiced meditation know how hard that can be to actually be double wise, but that's what we became, well, what, what we started calling ourselves. Or we didn't start calling ourselves that then. In retrospect, we call, call ourselves that. So then, I, one more thing about the Cro-Magnon. I think that they were the first to display a sense of humor, which they got by watching Neanderthals work with tools. I think that <laughs> they were always dropping them. And they never could figure out how to use the pliers. You know, it was a major defect. So 10,000 years ago, our really great grandparents, ancestors, begin living in cities, making agriculture. The last 10,000 years has been a complete revolution of the life of this planet due to the behavior of our species. Now we can see to the edge of the universe. We can fly off the planet. We can see deep inside of matter. We know how lots of things work in physics and biology, chemistry, nature. In just the last couple hundred years, we've nearly doubled the average human life span. Just a few generations ago, most of your ancestors were peasants. Just a few generations ago. And now almost all of us are required in a lifetime to absorb many volumes of information and operate fairly sophisticated machinery. It's a whole new world out there, and considering that, I think we're doing a pretty good job of being humans. Yeah, there's some glitches, for sure. But we're waking up to the glitches. We're waking up to the fact that we weren't really in control of our minds and that there are ways to, to gain more freedom and more choice in, in our life and our behavior. We're learning, hopefully, that there are just too many of us. You know? Some of you will have to go. <laughs> I think the people who wrote the Bible 
got God's message wrong. It wasn't go forth and multiply. It was go forth and add. <laughs> but I think if we see ourselves in this story of evolution, we find not only liberation, you're not your fault, but also we we learn inclusiveness, that we're all part of the same project, the same biosphere project, if you will, God's little biosphere project. Um, and if we see ourselves in the story of evolution, we also, you can find hope. We realize that life is really tough and has survived planets crashing into each other and comet collisions and ice ages and plagues. Henry Kissinger. Uh, life, life is tough. And we'll be able to survive, perhaps survive us, to continue the experiment. And if we look back 2,500 years ago, which is a blink of a blink of a blink of an eye in biological time. We see Lao Tzu in China and Socrates in Greece and the Buddha in India. We're just now waking up to who we are in the scheme of things. Our contemporaries, basically, Darwin, Freud, Jung, Einstein, Hubble, there's a whole revolution going on about how we understand ourselves and how we see ourselves. Just think, less than a hundred years ago, we knew of one galaxy. Less than a hundred years ago. The latest estimate is that there are 100 to 200 billion galaxies. 100 to 200 billion galaxies containing 30 to 50 billion trillion suns. And it was all created just for us. This will confuse them. <laughs> we now know that life has gone from a single-celled being to a being with a hundred trillion cells. That's you and me, all working for the same organism. Actually, no, all working for themselves and managing to keep one organism going. And inside each of those cells, each of those 100 trillion cells, is two yards of DNA. And each cell, it's the thinnest molecule known, two, two atoms wide, and uh, wrapped millions of times around itself, two yards of DNA in each of your 100 trillion cells. It's said if you could stretch your DNA out end to end, it would go around the planet several million times. The whole, and it, it, the equivalent... Of, of millions of volumes of, of information, the whole history of life is stitched inside of you. Considering, oh, one more, your brain processes an estimated 11 million bits of information a second, and you hardly have to lift a finger. Considering the creativity and complexity of life on this planet, it's hard not to believe that there's something purposeful, something going on here. I don't dare say the word design, but I will. 
it seems like there might be, you know, just possibly. E.O. Wilson, the great biologist, says, to imagine a human being being created by random chance in the universe is like trying to imagine a hurricane blowing through a junkyard and creating a 747. We are so improbable. We are such wonders. We are walking, talking wonders. Sometimes if I get discouraged, I I try to remember. Well, I have a a number of one-liners to try to keep me a happy, happy camper. One is, I give thanks in the morning for being born in an interglacial period. That's one thing. (laughs) But then I try to remember it's taken the universe 13.7 billion years to make me. That's some cause for (laughs) self-esteem. What a project! 13.7 billion years. So I'm not perfect yet, huh? Anyway, in conclusion, do what you can and then do a little more to see that this biosphere project, this experiment in life and consciousness continues. I guess it comes from the love you have for yourself and the world. Bow to the mystery, the mystery inside and all around you. And as I always say at the end of my presentations on the radio, if you don't like the news, go out and make some of your own. Thank you, Wes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.